As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 131 of Real Blend, a podcast that wants to know, Kevin, do you know uh, Russell Crowe's favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie? Russell Crowe's favorite Hitchcock movie. All right, here, here's the thing, because I don't <laughs> want to have dead air, yeah. I won't cheat. Can you give me a second to process it while you continue with the open absolutely i'm yes. okay with a dead air i kind of just want to sit here and just you're, also, you're also uh, on camera so we know you're not cheating so you can go ahead and do that and i'll well, do i'll do plugs the first thing i went to was crow and birds yes but that's I, that's what that's what it was is it birds. that's it it is the birds yes oh, so that's just, i was yeah I, okay. I went to the birds. Oh, you know, disappointed uh, that's fine. It's the, no no it's the i birds. was i was waiting for uh, i thought we were doing like an actual it's name. not a pun he just loves the birds yeah an actual question and answer. Oh, this show's here. going downhill fast. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend, <laughs> and uh, I am joined by, uh, as always, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., and Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, boys. My man, it's nice to have Kevin back. It is. Uh, Kev, we missed you last week. Uh, it's nice we to be back. We freaked Thank some you. people out with, with Gabe being in the third chair. <laughs> no, that's all. I'm glad that Gabe got to fill in and everything. That's amazing. I think Gabe should be on the show more often, actually, but... That's just I feel like he's opinion. on it a little too much as it is, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, I, yeah, right. I watched a bunch of old movies while I was gone, so it was cool. Good for you. Yeah. Episode highlights. Uh, speaking of old movies, Kev, uh, they're doing an 80s reboot starring Kevin Hart and Will Smith. And if you haven't heard the news yet, we will tell you what it is in a minute. We are going to review Unhinged, hence all the Russell Crowe talk. Uh, and I want to get to plugs. So Real Blend has two YouTube channels. Uh, and in particular, we need you guys to go down and um, subscribe to them if you could. We're trying to boost those numbers a little bit, get you guys watching the clip. So it, it's the show, essentially, on one of the channels, but you get to watch it on video. We record these um, episodes uh, using technology that allows us to record ourselves doing it uh I was going to say OBS, but nobody cares about that. Using modern technology. Uh, and then we also have a new channel called Real Blend Clips, where we're pulling out uh, segments from the show that make them easier for you guys to share. Uh, there'll be some times that we're going to run across in interviews where we get to ask spoiler questions and we don't necessarily want to include it in the full on interview. So we'll put them on the clip show. And uh, so do us a favor, go over to the YouTube pages of both Real Blend and Real Blend Clips and give them a subscribe, turn on your notifications, and then that way we will um, continue to share great Real Blend content with you guys. Gabe, you're going to throw something in? You were leaning in? No? 
Nope, I'm just here. Excellent. Just here. Uh, yep. Of course, get us wherever uh, Real Blind podcasts are available or any podcasts are available. And but if you notice, I'm Real Blind. Specifically Real Blind. If you notice I'm wearing, if you're watching the video, you can see that I have my DC Fandom hat. I want to really quickly plug that um, Cinema, Blend, Cinema Blend is going to be doing a full court press for DC Fandom on uh, Saturday, August 22nd. Uh, we're going to be covering it, all the panels that are happening for it, the movies and the TV panels. Of course, we'll probably talk about it on next week's episode as well, too, because specifically there will be one for Zack Snyder's Justice League. And as you can tell by my shirt, I'm very excited for that to come as well, too. Uh, so all God, the good reasons like why you should. book of sorts to, well, here's to, to the read thing. about it. I keep saying that uh, I'm I'm about to drop this information, but uh, the presale is is go. It's well, it's technically it's available, but the page isn't like ready yet. But I think by today it's going to be ready because we have the cover art image and they changed the subtitle of the book to be correct on the website. So very soon, very soon, you guys will be able to. Uh, potentially pre-order the book that I wrote about the Snyder Cut. So, stay and t- your shirt matches the uh, the colors of your shirt match the cover of your book beautifully. Such right? a great cover synergy. Yeah. This shirt is from something different. This shirt was on the uh, animated Harley Quinn uh, show that they have on DC mm. Universe. Sorry, the, I, heard, I heard that's great. I have heard that too, and I haven't watched it yet. But the animators made a joke um, where they put two guys who um, were living in their mom's basement sitting on a couch and arguing over comic book stuff. And the one guy had a release the Snyder cut t-shirt and the other guy had a shirt that said, um, episode eight is underrated. (laughs) So it's you uh, and Gabe. Essentially. Yes. And it was supposed to be a joke. Like, Oh, look at these guys. They're arguing with the Snyder cut, but all the Snyder cut people were like, that's amazing. Like we want to own that shirt. So they made it and then they put it up um, for sale for the, Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and they raise money because of it. Also, can we talk very quickly? I I know we're, you know, I I, I keep making this the Sean show, but can we talk about the fact that you have a pop figurine now? Oh, yeah. Well, let me wait till I can show that at some point, though, right? Okay. Never mind. He doesn't have a pop figurine yet. I don't have it yet, but someone was, yeah, this is too much me. Um, Someone was nice enough to make me a a pop figurine, and they're sending it to me, but it's really cool. He's got a a flash hoodie, and he's holding a little version of my book. My Which book. is fantastic. And she it's this girl, Cole, um, part of the Nerd Queens, and she actually designed the cover on a tiny little book that he's holding. So as soon as I have him, I'll bring him to one of the live episodes. So anyway, let's move on. Um, our poll, our weekly poll from last week. And Kevin, I'm going to throw this one to you because it was part of our premium episode that we did recently where we went over the best picture winners from 1994. Five, which would be 94 films, which is something that we talked about a long time on this show because we all love these other movies. This is the year the Forrest Gump won. So in the most recent premium episode of the show, and if you want to sign up for Real Blend Premium, please go to bit.ly backslash Real Blend Premium, Gabe? Yes? Gabe says yes. We asked everybody which movie now, in hindsight, do you think would win? And I only gave them four choices, Kev. I didn't include Four Weddings and a Funeral. But so the four choices are, now, if you're saying which movie would win Best Picture for 1995, it's Pulp Fiction. Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump, or Quiz Show. Would or should? Well, uh, should. Which one should win now? And so with the I, with having hindsight. So I want to hear your answer, and I also want to hear what you think the poll answer, the poll winner ended. So just to clarify, the the movie is has still been out since 94, 95. 
It, like me, what, meaning that uh, you're not saying it like it, it would have won if it came I out think, today. You're, I think it's oh, just I the, see what you're saying. Yeah, you're, I think it's just the same question that we did on the premium. I think it's okay. just 1995. People now deciding now, right? Which should be. I just yeah. I was clarifying just to make sure it wasn't like if, if if the movies were released today, which one would win? Gotcha, um, gotcha. No, no, no. Uh, if they could redo the Oscars, if they redid the Oscars this year for those films, I would say Pulp Fiction. Uh, but Shawshank is kind of creeping up there a little bit for me. I'm not really sure. I would say Pulp Fiction, though, just based on our view, our listeners. So the poll also went with Pulp Fiction, but Shawshank yeah. Redemption was very, very close. It was yeah. 46.5 to 37.7. Wow. I want to lament Poor Quiz Show, which got 0.9% oh. of the votes. So uh, not not even 1% uh, voted Quiz Show. And I'm, honestly, I'm chalking that up to the fact that people just haven't seen it. What did Forrest Gump get? I can't do math. 14.9% would still say that uh, Forrest Gump deserved deserved to win. So I don't know. If you want to find out what our choices were for that one, go back and listen to the most recent uh, premium episode. And then we're recording another one today that we'll be posting on Monday. So all fun stuff to look forward to on the Real Blend podcast. All right, let's get to talking points. And we have two trailers that dropped right before we started recording the episode. Uh, the first one was for Kenneth Branagh's upcoming sequel, Death on the Nile, which I thought looked gorgeous. Um, I really thought it was a well-cut trailer. I, it got me excited for the cast that he has. And uh, I threw it out there that I thought it looked really exciting and enticing. Obviously, it's Brana coming back, playing Hercule Poirot. And Jake shot us back in the text chain. Meh. Nah. So explain. <laughs> Why don't you elaborate on why Kenneth Branagh didn't win you over? You know, I, I, I did enjoy the first one. I enjoyed Orin Express quite a bit. Um, and I think a big part of it was just seeing that incredible cast together. Mm. Um, this one, I just sort of feel like it kind of feels like the exact same movie without the stellar. I don't think the cast is nearly as good. Oh, um, Josh and so Gad I, and Daisy Ridley aren't there. Is that who you Well, no, like Johnny Depp and Michelle Pfeiffer and Judy Dench and Willem Dafoe. Okay, fine. Okay, Point yeah. taken. Like, like I, I just feel like it's <laughs> it is a significantly lesser sequel. Like if you'd had another incredible all star cast on that ship, and also keep in mind the thing that like he's not even going to be on the ship when the murder happens, so he has to mm. like show up after because he's he's like he's still on the train or getting off the train when he finds out there's been a death on the Nile, right? Mm. That's how that's how murder on the Orient Express ends. So he's yeah. not even going to be there when the murder happens. I don't know if I necessarily like I don't remember those books. I read those books when I was a kid. Well, basically. no, I'm not saying in, in the books, but in the movie, at the end yeah, of the movie, yeah. Murder on like that, it, it was sort of a tease to the sequel. So he's going to show up after everything has happened and try and, to put it together. Yeah, and I, and I just don't think I don't think the cast looks as good. It just doesn't seem as appealing to me. See, I, I would argue it's the opposite because the less famous faces in a movie like that, I feel like the more I would be immersed in it. Depending, you know, sometimes a lot of famous faces pop up and you kind of like get taken out. Like you look at something like Knives Out, for example, where Ryan Johnson just made a great movie where you didn't really think about that much. Um, but sometimes in these big films, with these big casts, it's hard not to think about all the big stars you're watching on the screen. That being said, uh, I mean, uh, both the trailers that came out today were shot on film, which I, I know you guys get, make fun of me for saying that. But I but I, they were. And the 65 millimeter that he used on Death of the Nile looks insane. Like you can actually see it in the trailer how beautiful the film looks. Um, I wish his aspect ratio was a little taller, uh, but that's a whole other thing. But I, I do think that visually 
the trailer looks incredible. I thought the song choice was not great. I didn't like the Depeche Mode song. Um, I thought that kind of threw me off a little bit. It was a strange trailer choice. What was um, the song in the first one? Didn't the first trailer Imagine have... Dragons? Maybe? Yeah, it was like like they have a thing. Whoever cuts those, and the first time it would have been Fox, and it would have been Disney this time around. But yeah. they have a thing for taking songs and maybe, oh, maybe so. Oh, I'm, I guarantee you, Brana chose it. I just I just feel like it doesn't tonally fit what the trailer was portraying leading up to the song starting. Yeah. I think it would have been more effective had it been more of a score heavy trailer. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. we, listen, we've seen, we've seen songs used in trailer really well when they manipulate them. I think one of the greatest trailer songs ever was, um, ready player one take on me when they messed yeah. with take on me in the I trailer. Love that tra- oh, I want to watch that and movie right? again. And so like, I find like, I don't know to me, that trailer song took me out, but then again, then you get back to the end you see that amazing shot where he walks towards the boat and everyone is on the boat in line. Like, why are they moving like that? I wanted to ask at the know. end of the trailer, why are they moving as if they're in some type of like organized line? Watch the I end of know. the trailer again. It's a very strange shot. Like you see Brana from the back. Also, uh, one thing I found interesting about it was you could tell there's he learned a lot on Dunkirk. Because specifically with the boats and the way the boats look in the film, I, I got a very intent to like the, those those class, those boat shots that Nolan gets. Yeah. Um, I kind of set I got a sense of that when I was watching it, because, I mean, Brana shoots on the same cameras that Nolan uses, except for IMAX. Um, so I, I think it's going to be gorgeous. The cinematography in that trailer is amazing. Gal Gadot looks amazing. I just didn't love the, the, the song. That's it. Well, an actual boat. Like it's it's full on sets. Yeah. Like yeah. It's which I love also. And I so did we have was this conversation? Oh, we were talking about this before the show. It looks weird to watch a trailer where people are interacting. I have a mm. really hard time getting over this yeah. in this stupid when pandemic. When people shake hands, there's a moment of like, ooh, like the, people are shaking hands. And there's dancing. There's like dancing yeah. and kissing. And I watch people in these trailers and I'm like, no, 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 separate. Yeah. We, we were talking about this before the show because uh, Kevin's wife, Lauren, put out some incredible on-set interviews um, recently on YouTube. You should absolutely check out. DC and Film Girl. Just, Yes, and they're amazing, and they're doing incredibly well. And I was sort of joking how my gut knee-jerk reaction, and to no fault of hers, because those films are long ago, but the shot is like a two-shot of her sitting next to someone, and my initial <laughs> knee-jerk reaction was, oh, Lauren, what are you doing? Get away! <laughs> Put on a mask, for God's yeah. sake! I mean, it is weird, and then, like, but you're right, though, but then, Sean, I didn't have that problem when I, after the trailer started because there's something about the way he photographed the film that just mm-hmm. immersed me in the moment. Like, I mean, that is a... I, I blew the trailer up onto my MacBook um, mm-hmm. full screen, and it's just... It looks awesome. I mean, if you go, I didn't love Murder on the Orange Press. Like I know as much as Gabe and, and Sean, you did. I know you guys loved it. Um, oh, I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't deny the practicality of how he shot it. Mm-hmm. And now this is going to take that to a whole different level. I'm sure he has a bigger budget this time because didn't Murder on the Orange Express make over $300 million it worldwide? It did really well. Yeah. It, it was one really of those well. leggy movies that like didn't necessarily open huge, but like didn't yeah. drop week to week. Like it just, it stuck around. I think it came out in November, if I remember yeah. right. And yeah. they just didn't go anywhere holiday yeah. season. That's a strange one for me. Like if somebody asked if I didn't if I wasn't in like in our industry and I didn't look at box office numbers and someone said to me, how do you think Mortar on the Orient Express did? I'd be like, I don't think anyone saw it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I don't yeah. know a lot of people who saw the movie, but it did extremely well. Um, obviously enough for him to make a sequel. I don't know. Was yeah. Sean, you know, the movie news better than I do. Was the sequel greenlit before before the first one came out? Mm, no, 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 no. It definitely was after. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so he I took mean, a gamble by ending the first film that yeah. way. And they just, Agatha Christie has a bunch of those 
you know, Hercule Poirot novels that they could, if they wanted to franchise it, keep going. Um, so they were probably Eddie, wise to invest One of the that. greatest junkets of all time. Kevin and I got to ride the Orient Express from Venice to Paris and uh, stay overnight. And, and uh, that's where the nuts. That's, that's where, where the, the pun Josh Gad. That's where kind of where the pun thing started. Oh, is that, it really? Yeah, no, that's, that, it, that it is started the on the Orient Express. 100 no he's 100 percent credit there's no exaggeration the puns that i do on this show or we do on the show yeah started that day well tell the story now i need to hear this we were it was it's literally not it's the story does not you know it's not exciting but we were sitting yeah. we were on the train which sounds crazy um and we were getting <laughs> ready to interview josh gad in one of the train cars which just sounds cool um and so the train's moving along and we're shooting an interview like we're sitting next to him in a train car and they're filming us from like the bathroom i think it was jake yeah okay. um and i don't know what it was but i said something like stupid like we should i think he had just had a kid again or something and i was gonna say you know have you considered just changing your name to josh dad because you just had a, father, <laughs> a kid and so for the next 36 hours but, we kept thinking of scenarios yeah. of like, man, like I hope this interview goes well. Otherwise, he's going to be Josh sad. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then the, go the, Josh bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, the, so whole, the murder on the Orient Express was my spirit. That's yeah. that's what died that day. That was the whole trip. So I think at one point it got to a point where like we'd be sleeping, and I would like I would say, "Hey, Jake," because we were. I was in a bunk room. Jake, were you and I in this? No, no. I was in a room with no. Chris Van Vliet. I was with Vavida. Jim um, yeah. from IGN and he um, and at one point I think I said hey Jake you know Jake's favorite um, <laughs> what did I say his favorite <laughs> cast member from Double Team and it was like Jean-Claude Jake Hamilton Hamilton I can't remember how it went but it was it was stupid but it was it, was, it, was, it, it got silly it got well, silly but it has lived on to yeah. this day <laughs> the it has started become... on the Orient Express somewhere between Venice and Paris so uh, we'll continue it with Death on the Nile. Okay, let's shift over to the other trailer that dropped today, which is Sofia Coppola's uh, next film, On the Rocks, reteaming her with Bill Murray, uh, obviously her Lost in Translation star, and also bringing in Rashida Jones. Full disclosure, I did not get a chance to watch this trailer before. So how did it look, Kev? I loved it. But I also, yeah. again, and again, I'm sorry to ring the film uh, that, bell again. That's but fine. Sh- that's it right. can't be on wrong. I remember interviewing her for uh, The Beguiled, and we got into like a super deep conversation about shooting on 35. And also, if you look, notice The Beguiled had a very tall aspect ratio, and this movie also does as well. So if you watch the trailer full screen, it's a large format shot. Um, it's very Lost in Translation E, I guess, if I, if I would say. I mean, it's hard not to think about that because it's Bill Murray, um, mm-hmm. but the comedy seems as dry. It seems like it, it, it feels like a Sofia Coppola, Bill, Bob, uh, you know, Bill Murray type of film. Okay. Um, but the basic premise of it is, is Rashida Jones is the lead and her father is Bill Murray. Rashida Jones is married to Marlon Wayans, who I, I thought was a really great casting. Because I would love if he started getting a little bit more dramatic work after Requiem for a Dream. Like he mm-hmm. I, I wish he would have done more drama work because his performance in Requiem for a Dream is, I think, the best thing he's ever done next to Don't Be a Menace to South Central, which I love that movie. And I think he's great at it. But from a dramatic standpoint, he's brilliant. Requiem, um, which I really love that Sophia gave him another dramatic role, and, uh, especially, uh, you know, this is this is like an indie type film. So maybe Marla Wayne's will do start more doing more indie dramas again, like Requiem. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the trailer is really cool. If you, if you haven't seen it, don't turn it off when the title card hits. Um, because they let the sound of Bill Murray's audio and dialogue continue through the 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 slate and the release date, which I thought was a kind of a cool little thing. Um, no, but I was really impressed with it. It looked really funny and 
I love Bill Murray. I just feel like he only does stuff now that he really cares about, and you can tell he cares about it. So I love Bill Murray too, but I also think Rashida Jones doesn't get enough credit. Like she's outstanding in everything that she does, but she's always like the second or third person in like Parks and Recreation or her her stint on The Office for a little while. And when she shows up in um, movies, she she is always outstanding, but doesn't really get all the credit that I think she deserves. So I love the fact that she's getting what looks to be a starring role. And listen, and this is the only thing uh, other thing I'll say about film and just the idea of like both these movies being shot on film this week. The reason I keep saying stuff like that is because we are living in an age where most filmmakers are shooting digitally because that's the easier route to go. Mm. And the fact that I, the reason I keep bringing it up every time we discuss films is that you're you should see a pattern here. All of the greatest directors of our time are still shooting on film, mostly all of them. You know, Spielberg still shooting on film. Scorsese still shooting on film. Obviously, Sofia Coppola is, Brana is, Nolan is, Tarantino is, Abrams Jonah is, Apatow. 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 So, I, I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to come across as like this film snob, this snooty guy. But that's, I just genuinely love the look of it, and I only mention it because I do feel that we're in a resurgence of film. I think that film celluloid is st- is coming back in a big way, and then when you have Nolan champion championing these massive IMAX film cameras, you're going to inspire younger filmmakers to come up and still work on film, which was why I was a little disheartened when, when uh, Ryan Johnson had to shoot digitally on knives out. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I know he was upset about that. Obviously he said it in our interview on real blend. Um, but I just wanted to say that I don't ever want to come across. Oh, Kevin's being, you know, that film snob, but that's why I bring it up. I just think we're seeing more of it happen now. That's all. And I it took you 131 episodes to be worried about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. But, but I, I feel like, you know, you know, you know, sometimes and you have a, a, not a crutch, but something that you be like, you say something and people go, okay, yeah, Kevin's going to say this. Kevin's going to say that, you know, whatever it would be. And I, and I know those things become like, I love saying like you're, you use a camera as a leading character in a film. I love saying that. Well, we all have like our thing. You know we what I mean? Have, like, but, we, and we all have like, I don't know about you as I have questions that I, I lean on if I know that it's going to go well. And if it's yes. a first particular circumstance, I, I find no, if it, if it yields, Ooh, that's a good question. Nine out of 10 times. Like, hell yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask that. I don't, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I know. I just feel like sometimes people do put people in boxes depending on how, what they say. And I just find it. To, I just wanted to say that it's such a gigantic deal that we're still seeing like these two massive trailers that came out today were shot on film. Yeah. It's a big deal, man. It's a big Especially deal. Something like death on the Nile, which is a massive production. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Know. And the fact he could still shoot that way was great. Um, There was something that I think Charlie Kaufman said in Jake's interview, which really broke my heart, which you were asking about the adaptation. Did you ask? Okay, I have to make sure that it was yours that I watched and maybe not Eric's. But he basically confessed. He was like, part of the reason why I went forward was this because I just thought I could get the budget to make it. No, that wasn't mine. Oh, that wasn't yours? Well, he... Yeah, he, He got asked about whether, you know, why he wanted to pursue this adaptation. And he essentially just admitted, like, this seemed like a project that I could get the funding for. And that made me really sad um, to hear him sort of phrase it that way. And I think it's realistic. You know, I think that that's a really he he's speaking from the perspective of the business is is giving him the chance to make this movie because it's semi low budget. It takes place mostly in a car for the most mm-hmm. part. So that's um, when he phrased it that way and because you talk about, you know, film being as a budget that people have to sort of account for if they're going to use film. 
These are the realistic situations that are facing filmmakers nowadays. And Kaufman shot 35. And obviously, and if you, you know, when people see it, um, um, the, the film, it's it's a one, three, three, four by three ratio. So you have the black bars. And the, the I side. noticed that I was proud but, of myself. I was like, this looks like a box. Exactly. And it was like, <laughs> but the and the reasoning for it, if you watch the trailer, is it's meant to make you feel claustrophobic. So as you're mm-hmm. watching the film, when uh, since you're in the car, a lot of the film but it's interesting when you watch the movie, there's the, uh, he uses the camera in a very leading way. And to go to your to your point, Sean, I asked him about, you know, the ratio and shooting on film and things like that. And he basically admitted to me that he didn't have enough time. He didn't mention funding, but he wishes he could have done more stuff with the camera, which goes mm-hmm. to kind of against a little bit what you just said, where he said, like, oh, I can get the I wish I could have got the funding. Or mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I did it because I got the funding for it. But he made mm-hmm. it sound like in my interview that he didn't have enough time and or money to do all the stuff he wanted to do. So that's, that's wonder. interesting. Yeah. I so, wonder uh, with I, these, ne- these yeah. Netflix budgets, you know, yeah, if, yeah. If that they're going to turn that spigot asked, off eventually. I had a question that I asked him that I was really excited about because obviously like he's attempted to adapt a book before with the orchid thief and he couldn't do it. And we ended up getting adaptation out of it, which yeah. I think is a brilliant way to tell that story about how the fact that he couldn't tell that story. So my question was like, what, in the adaptation process of this novel, like would would make for a good story or would make for a good movie since you did that last time. And he kind of went like nothing. Like it was, <laughs> like, it was really boring. And I was like, oh, OK, I got, I got one of those, too. So uh, it's funny. So uh, Coffin was really cool and I really enjoyed the interview. But like he's very he doesn't BS around anything. If he doesn't but he's have done an speaking, answer, he's done speaking. And so um the title of the film, the the word of is italicized, right? If you look at the title of the film. And, and everything's lowercase. Everything is lowercase. And then the just the of of the title is, is italicized. Everything else is normal. So I asked him why that was. And he said, I have no idea. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing. But yeah. he said he had no, it was not his idea. There was no thematic meaning for it at all. Just the artist put it on the poster that way. What? I'm like, That's but it's really your weird. movie. How do you? Yeah, not- I would think he would have something to do with that because so, whenever I saw all the entire thing was in lowercase, right. my, my first thought was like, oh, that's such a Kaufman thing. No, you know who designed it? The guy who turned Avatar into Papyrus. <laughs> Dude, that is one of my all-time favorite <laughs> SNL sketches. It's so great. The the, the Gosling, <laughs> like I know what you did. I actually watched it recently. Again, <laughs> it's, it's so, so funny. It's Wait, so Sean, funny. it's did so you, random. Sean, did you see the Kaufman movie? Uh, I watched I, the first 10 minutes of it the um, the other night and I had watched I had just watched Bill and Ted face the music and then I um, we finished that and I looked in my Netflix queue and it was there and I thought okay cool I'm gonna start it but it was like 10 o'clock on a Friday oh yeah that's not late but like I, it, I realized in the first 10 minutes that this movie needed all of my attention and so yeah. I was like I gotta punch out yeah. I can't try I to cannot do it now. wait so I until yet. the three of us talk about that movie I've watched it twice now yeah, oh, so no kidding. There's okay. a, Jake, then you'll find this funny. This is a, a little piece of movie trivia that I found out only because I brought it up to Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley in the interview. So, so Jake, since you've seen the film, and this is also in the trailer. This is not a spoiler. You know, this is the moment where they walk up to that frame in the house and there's a it's the younger photo of. And for the two, first two times you see it, it's his face. It's hers. She thinks hers. it's her. And she goes a picture of me. And then he looks at it and goes like, no, it's me. And then it's him. Right. So apparently they 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 got the photos from their family and they that's Jesse Buckley's body for the entire photo. And it's Plemons's head on her body. 
So when you watch That's the funny. film, That's just funny. Look, I just I want to go look that up in the trailer now. Just, it, so <laughs> when you watch the film, when you look at that picture, it's it's you'll see Plemons's face on Buckley's body, and it's not even it's not noticeable. Yeah. But I just thought that was really interesting that he did That's that. Funny. That's really I want to call Jake out on that too because Jake follows up that that interview question with Charlie Kaufman is like, so we're not getting an adaptation sequel. And, I, I did ask that. He he took it very seriously. Yeah. He was like. He was like, no, no, because no. it was like was a it. joke. Like, it was meant to be like, oh, OK, so like. So then in no, your tweet, you were like, we talked about. And your second thing you put was like adaptation sequel, <laughs> question mark, exclamation point. Well, I did. And the answer is no. You still I watched it. Watched it. So, yeah. I looked at your tweet and I was like, oh, I can't wait till people listen to the clip <laughs> to get to it. All right. Let's get to a remake that's coming down. Thanks, the for, thanks for ruining the clips on the clips oh, on, my, on my YouTube channel. I love. No, I love the behind the scenes, things like that. Uh, for whatever reason, they uh, are going to try to remake one of my favorite films of all time, which is Planes, Trains and Automobiles. And uh, in place of John Candy and Steve Martin, we are going to get Kevin Hart and Will Smith. Two fantastic actors who I genuinely like uh, in just about everything that they try to do, but there is no need for this whatsoever. Yeah. Um, this speaks to the concept of when we're remaking things, it'd be better to try to remake stuff that didn't work the first time through uh, to try to improve it or to look at a different angle. But I really don't see any way to improve on John Hughes's classic. Um, Maybe his best movie. Arguably. Arguably. Um, Breakfast Club. I love Ferris, though. I really do love Ferris. Um, And Breakfast Club is tremendous. I prefer Planes, Trains to Ferris and Breakfast Club. Do you really? All right. So there you go. So I think I've mentioned this on the show before, and then Jake made fun of me for it being so sad. This was my tradition. Um, uh, Every night uh, or every year, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, uh, I get a bottle of Captain Morgan's and a (laughs) six pack of Coke. And I sit in front of the television and I watch planes, trains, and automobiles because there's a reason. Um, one year when PJ was uh, an infant, he wasn't quite one. He was born in February. So this is the following November. Uh, we tried to go up to New York to visit my family um, for Thanksgiving. And it was the most hellacious experience trying to travel. Uh, first holiday travel, traveling with an infant. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And um, in that moment, there was one time we got stuck in Washington, D.C. because we had a connecting flight and we uh, had about six hours in the terminal in between flights with Mm. an infant again. And we got onto the plane and we pulled that away from the gate and uh, Michelle fed PJ and he fell asleep in her arms. And we thought, great, one hour flight. We'll get up to New York. So he slept for an hour. And for that one hour, the plane never moved. It stayed on the runway and didn't taxi, didn't take off. And the minute the plane started to move, he woke up and scream cried for the next hour and 15 minutes. And at that point, I turned to Michelle and I said, we will never, ever, ever travel for a holiday again. And for 16 years now, we have not traveled for a holiday. We have stayed in North Carolina for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And I say to my family all the time, I'm like, I'm sorry. We're just never going to do it. Like, you do I've, realize I've, that they can fly now without crying. Uh, no, no, that's fine. I just, I'm not going to do it. So my tradition from that moment on was to sit. So I watch, oh, this is why you made fun of me. I watched the Weather Channel um, <laughs> before I turn on playing trains and automobiles because they do live looks at all the airports. And I drink my rum and coke and I say, look at those dumb sons of bitches <laughs> trying to travel on the holiday because they check in on all the airports and they're like, 
five hour delays at so O'Hare because like of that's, horrible that's weather. That's like a that's a good day for you. It's a trem- it's one of my favorite days of the year is to sit there and drink and watch What's the weather a channel. Bad and then day I finish for you. off real blend day. Show day. <laughs> Show day essentially. <laughs> So anyway, they're remaking this movie that I consider to be a stone cold classic. Do either of you think this is a good idea? No, no. no. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the thing is, to, like, I mean, you you look at Will Smith's career trajectory in the, in yeah. the early two thousands. Like, he should be pretty close to being an Oscar winner by now. But instead, like, his last five movies are Bad Boys Three, yeah, a movie where he played a pigeon, hey, Bad Jim Boys Three is Man. awesome, yeah, still but, the like, highest grossing uh, movie I, of the year. Uh, he was a pigeon in Gemini Man? No, no, he did the, the pigeon yeah, movie, kidding, right? I'm kidding. Yeah, was, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> that's what you weigh in on, Gabe? <laughs> Gemini Man, what else did he do? Uh, Aladdin? Like, like, what is he, what is he doing? Okay, so it's a little bit uh, Tom Cruise syndrome, where Tom Cruise for a little no, while... No, Tom Cruise makes went, good movies. Well, I'm, I'm saying he went for the awards pedigree drama for a little while, and now he's going to save franchises... Um, for his most recent stint. I mean, what has he done that's not Mission Impossible? He, he did uh, the the Doug Lyman film where he was the drug sure, American but, made. But, yeah, but Mission, like the Mission Impossible films are quality films. They're better they're, than the Bond movies. Edge of yeah, Tomorrow is they're a terrific. masterpiece. Yeah, very, true, very true. Edge of Tomorrow is top it, it's 10 phenomenal. cruise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, top yeah. five. Top five cruise, maybe. Ooh, now you're getting... Ooh. That's hard. What's, Ooh, top that's fi- hard. what's top five cruise? Rain Man. Few Good Men. Uh, Jerry Maguire. Okay, personal. Everyone give their yeah. everyone give their personal five. All right, go mm-hmm. ahead, Sean. Because I wouldn't have any of Hold those on. in mind. Really? No. Wait. My my cruise we're, list. I'm is actually going to take. I'm yeah, going to take wait, a, a time. Are, are, are we doing this right now? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're doing, doing it. Yeah. We're doing yes. it, Gabe. You got somewhere to we're be. Well, here I'll. Oh, you guys do this while I, while I say my two cents on plane trips. Oh, okay. please do this. Okay. My biggest concern because this is I think we're doing this. We're really doing this right now. My biggest concern is this is ripe for the like, let's take beats and moments from the original and then add like how technology has changed that. Like Ugh. I'm waiting for like a self-driving car joke or like a cell phone joke. Like it feels like it's going to be that like late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah. And so much of what the, they were is just making great, jokes about like, hey, now we have a phone. So much of what's great about planes, trains and automobiles is how just normal stuff doesn't go in their favor, like renting a car or, you know, a, a plane getting delayed. And that's just not as entertaining. The original planes, trains and automobiles also has the funniest. I'm not going to say the funniest, but one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard, which is when they're driving uh, on the wrong side of the road. And the couple yells at them across the way and says, you're going the wrong way to tell them that they're driving into oncoming traffic. And John Candy turns around and says, how do they know where we're going? <laughs> <laughs> that, that movie. So simple. Sean, that movie and yeah. that movie and um, oh, oh, my gosh, why am I blanking on this? Uh, the, the movie that I just watched the other day with John Candy and oh, Blues Brothers. Those, oh, are, yeah. my, those are two of the greatest comedies ever made like they, Terrific. Blues, Bro- Blues Brothers still puts me into tears and I only bring that up because John Candy's in both but alright uh, can I point out that you guys have somehow turned a movie with John Candy into a top yeah. five list of Tom yeah. Cruise somehow <laughs> <laughs> this, this is classic real blend this no is, this right, is classic I got my five we brought, I got my five somehow we brought Tom Cruise okay right, do, I, you, do you want to start at five and then go down 
I don't have I don't have them yeah, ordered. Yeah. I, I don't have them ordered. I have a, I, just, I got yeah, mine Just ordered. pick the five uh-huh. that you pick. All right, just give just Kevin. Give, you just, got it. Go for it. Go ahead. Right, these are these are my personal five top five yeah. favorite Tom Cruise. Let's see how many we have crossover. Now wait, did we do performances or movies? I'm, I did. I'm doing movies. I, mean, yeah, I movies. just did movie general that he's in. Tom yeah, Cruise. Movie okay. that he's in. Yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. All right, here's my five: Vanilla yeah. Sky, mm-hmm. Tropic Thunder, okay, <laughs> Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, mm-hmm. Jerry Maguire, and Minority Report. Oh, I have three of those. I have two okay. of those. <clears throat> I have Minority Report. I have Ghost Protocol. I have Jerry Maguire. Then Ghost I Protocol also did- specifically. Ghost Protocol specifically. Nice. Yes. All right, cool. Yes. Uh, then I also have Few Good Men and Rain Man. Okay. That, uh, I have uh, Jerry Maguire. I have Minority Report. Oh, I, hey. Fallout. Okay. All uh, right. A Few Good Men and Collateral. Yeah. If Collateral was shot on film. <laughs> the what? By default, does that make Minority Report Real Blend's favorite Tom Cruise? I guess it does. I guess it does. Because <laughs> yes. it was all in all your Wait, wait, wait. Did, did we not all do... Sean, you didn't do Jerry Maguire? I did do Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well... We'll save that for another yeah, episode. Yeah, that's a really great one. If only really Michael good. Mann shot collateral on film. That's the only I, I thing. I like the, the cold digital look of it. Oh, oh you we don't. Move on, I know, because we are. <laughs> Kevin, I don't know if you know this, but Snyder's cut of Justice League, he's maintaining the IMAX ratio aspects. The too. 1431, the, the yeah. 70 millimeter. Yeah, dude, BVS in 70 mil IMAX was unbelievable. So <laughs> I'm all so awesome. <laughs> I know, it's great. Thank you. All right, uh, <laughs> Kevin and Jake both saw Love... Uh, Lovecraft Country, the premiere. Uh, mm-hmm. I have not had a chance to see it. Do you guys recommend it? Are you going to stick yes. with it? God, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I, I would say it's a bit of a slow burn character build at first. Mm-hmm. I think the first episode is 70 minutes. And oh, it's okay. probably the last, I don't know, Kevin, what would you say? 20, 25 minutes before you sort of realize what the show is going to be. I hadn't really seen any trailers other than just sort of knowing who was involved. And, and I felt like, well, Love, Lovecraft, Lovecraft's name is on it. Therefore, there has to be some sort of super supernatural element to it. And uh, I mean, but what's fascinating to me about this show is that it's about horrors and monsters and things that go bump in the night. But it is scary long before the monsters ever show up. Like mm-hmm. I like there are just, you know, it is. It is, it is uh, three African-Americans who are driving through America in the 1950s. 1960s? 1950s, 1960s. Mm-hmm. So they come across real monsters long before they ever come across fictional monsters. And to me, that is sort of what I'm interested in seeing the show um, explore more. It's like, yes, there are in this world like monster monsters out there, but there are just people that are even scarier. And that's what really fascinates me. And I think it's going to be a really interesting theme that I hope that they keep following. And I'm, I am, I am in, I am, I am sucked in hundred percent. Yeah. It's like when you watch get out, like racism was the monster. Racism was the villain um, in, in, uh, in get out. And I think that what Jake brings up is there, there's a specific scene in the first episode where, where a police officer has oh, the characters make oh. a U-turn and that's it's it's horrifying. It's like it's a, and it's it's such a simple scene, but it's so terrifyingly done. And to Jake's point, it's 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 all about that idea of that person is a genuine monster. But as the episode progresses, I did like how everyone I won't give anything away, but the end of the episode does bring some bridges together, which I thought was mm-hmm. a really interesting way to look at it. Um, The show starts 
extremely sci-fi, which I thought was a really smart move. The first scene, right? Like, like, like that that battle scene, Jake, specifically. Yeah. That's how the show starts. Yeah. Uh, Journey Smollett-Bell and Jonathan Majors and Courtney B. Vance are phenomenal. Um, I have yet to see Michael K. Williams show up on the show specifically. Yeah. He plays the father. Oh, man, of, that's uh, a great cast. Great yeah, cast. I, and I'm telling you right now, like, you know, Michael K. Williams... He might be one of the greatest actors working today. I mean, he's uh, I, I, he, he's just amazing. I've seen I, I saw the first season of The Wire, so I loved him in that. But I but I think he's just brilliant. But the show is like Jake said, it's like it, it, it's that duality of monsters, which is really fascinating. The last 15 minutes are so blood soaked, insane. Oh, wow. Like I was blown away. Like the show just becomes hyper violent in, in this instant. And it becomes a monster show. Literally a monster show. It kind of reminded me of like the duality of From Dust Till Dawn. When okay. like the From Dust Till Dawn starts off as a as a different kind of a genre. It's a you know, the two uh, guys are on the run from the police and it turns into a horror film, like a monster film. But like to Jake's That's an interesting point, comparison. Yeah, the, but yeah, and to and I guess, yeah, theoretically there were there were monsters, you know, in in uh, you know, Seth you know, I guess you can say that Seth Gecko, the characters that Clooney and uh, Tarantino played were monsters, right? So, yes. Yeah, it's interesting. Definitely, so. definitely the character Tarantino played. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which, but by the way, I rewatched that the other day, and, and I don't. This is I don't mean to be this a tangent, but to, to what Jake just said is very interesting to me because Jake, I had a very weird feeling in my stomach the other day when I was watching From Dust Till Dawn. So for people who haven't seen from Dustle Dawn, there's a, there's a scene where they they capture this bank teller, a woman, and they put her in a trunk and they drive her to a motel, which is where they meet the Harvey Keitel and Juliette Lewis characters. And Clooney's character leaves the hotel and leaves Quentin Tarantino in the hotel and he does something absolutely horrific to this woman. We don't know what it is. It's disturbing. I would assume. I mean, they, he says kind of says it. Clooney, yeah, Clooney he, says because Clooney says like these are the things we do not do, and he lists. Right. And that, to me, that implies that because you do that, I'm telling you, we don't do that. Right. And so, what's fascinating about that scene is that's an interesting moment where you have two villain characters, and one becomes the more yeah, likable because yeah. Clooney non- comes back with a burger for her. Yes. And so Clooney's still a bad guy, technically speaking, for what but he's he been doing. But he bought her a cheeseburger. He's been killing a people. A big Kahuna burger. Right. But what's his line? I don't I don't kill people that I don't have to. Like, yeah. Remember that <laughs> line? So I've got I just five thought, little friends, and they can all run faster run than faster. you can. Yeah. And so for me, just the point you just made was something that just kind of struck me because I rewatched it recently. But that is a fascinating development when, yeah. when two characters can weigh out how nasty the other one is. That's well, really Clooney has a great line at the end that I think sort of sums up the point you're trying to make is that, and it might be the last line of the movie where Juliet Lewis is trying to go with him and he says no and he goes I may be an asshole but I'm not a fucking asshole and I think Which, that sort of sums up that's a great it's a great line and I, I yeah. think like that sort of sums up the difference between um, the two so of them good. and then there's that wide that yeah. wide ending that shot that song that plays yeah it, that is that movie is so incredible uh, I, if anybody out there hasn't yeah. seen it and it, it's also great because Tarantino is one of the stars of the movie yeah. he's like the lead it's fun the to film. watch yeah. with I, I've only been able to do it a few times because I don't know a ton of people that don't know what that movie is but it's fun to watch that movie with someone that doesn't know what it is have, and have to look at their face whenever it turns it from one movie into another yeah did you ever watch Full Tilt Boogie uh, the documentary. Mm-hmm. So back when that movie came out, see, Gabe knows what I'm talking about. The, there was a, the, when the DVD came out from From Dust to Dawn. It was a two disc flip, and it had mm-hmm. a second movie in it called Full Tilt Boogie, which is like an hour and a half documentary about the making of From Dust to oh, Dawn. I'd love to see that. It is. Oh, dude, amazing. you have to watch it. Uh, I was obsessed it's, with it. 
it's amazing. Yeah, it goes. I mean, it's a great behind the scenes documentary. But there are so many instances where you see um, Tarantino and Rodriguez just sitting next to each other and talking about creating the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a whole there's a whole uh, uh, segment in it with Clooney um, and Tarantino's like assistant, like personal assistants, and they they follow them around and talk about what they do on set and like how they. It, it's a cool behind I'd the love scenes. To see that. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I recommend it. And also <laughs> a phenomenal Michael Parks performance in that movie as well. Oh right? my god, the opening scene. Oh, Michael. and um, and uh, and uh, what's it? Who, who's the guy behind the counter from um, from set from the sessions? John yeah. Hawks. John Hawks. He's John fantastic. Hawks. That's right. Great yeah. actor. But, but my, I never cr- said help us. What's funny about that scene is I always love because Rodriguez is such a uh, a raw filmmaker. And I love how he had the popcorn continue popping as he was on fire going into yeah. the popcorn. And it was like it was yeah. just like he always played with sound effects. Yeah. So interesting. Well, and I'll really quick just tell this story. And I know Gabe's saying <clears throat> wrap it up. But I mean, when we went to the uh, Alita Battle Angel set visit in uh, Austin and the bar, the Kansas bar yeah. in that movie is the titty twister from That's from Dustal Dawn. That's crazy. And and they had so they had a opening night party. Uh this was when Alita was kicking off South by Southwest, but not the movie, but they just brought everybody out to um Troublemaker Studios in Austin and he essentially had Iron City, which is the from Alita built uh, essentially and it's like the from the ground up till about 10 feet uh for all these buildings and then everything above it would be green screen from that point on. Uh, and we walked into the Kansas bar and they were like, yeah, we're going to have the the drinks and we're going to do junket interviews in the replica of the Kansas bar. So everybody who went to when you were on deck, you were just hanging out at a bar. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those situations where a movie is so integral to you growing up that I'm looking around the location and I'm saying, this is the Dust Till Dawn bar. Like I'm sitting in the Dust Till Dawn bar. So when I got a chance to interview Rodriguez, I was like, tell me that this isn't the same place. And he goes, oh, yeah, it totally is. It's the same set. We just flipped it. He goes, so from when when in Dust Till Dawn, the staircase was over on this side and the bar was here. We just reversed it so that it didn't look the same. He goes, but it's the exact same bar. I've kept it wow. this entire time. That's, so that bar is in is in Troublemaker in Austin. And it's also awesome. the bar that they used for the Alita set. So that's wild. Doesn't he tell that story on our podcast interview that we did with him? He might. I think he God, does. I forgot. I forgot he was on the we, podcast. Because we interviewed him. Because, Jake, I remember you were at the junket. And yeah, it was weird. We're like, I had to be in a different room with, I had to be in a different room. We, he and I were both at the same place, but I had to be in one room and he had to be in another. Old memories. What was that for? Alita. Oh, that was for Alita. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, anyway, this week in movies, let's get to reviews of things that are actually opening. Uh, we'll start with Amazon Prime's film Chemical Hearts, uh, and you guys did the junket for it. So what what do we know about it? Is it worth checking out? Yeah, Hello. so it's Lily Reinhardt. <laughs> uh, Lily Reinhardt uh, produced the film, the executive produced the film. Oh, um, good for her. And yeah, I like her a lot, actually. She's really, um, she's very open about depression and mental health, and I've always appreciated like seeing that um, in her uh in her social media and things like that. But yeah, the film is, she's from Riverdale. You like, she's yeah, mainly she known for play, that plays Betty on Riverdale. Um, okay. concept of the show is basically her character got into a really bad car accident where something bad happened within the, the nature of the accident. It left her severely injured her leg specifically. So she walks with a, with a stick or, uh, um, and so She's in school and I think they're writing for the newspaper at the school and she meets this other kid played by Austin Abrams. Is that his last name? And he's from Euphoria. And uh, they both just connect over being, you know, with depression and anxiety and things like that. It's kind of like a fault in our stars vibe. And again, I'm not comparing it in regards to thematics, more of just like the vibe of it, the tone Mm -hmm. of it just feels like. There's comedy mixed in with like very serious drama, but as we're taken through a younger romance, it's it's. it's I mean, I haven't finished the film. Uh, admittedly, I've not watched the whole thing because I was mm-hmm. watching it this morning prior to my interview. But she was wonderful. I I really am a big fan of her. She's nice. Very nice. There's a movie but coming again, to Netflix. That's not really a movie review. Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying there's a movie coming to Netflix called oh. The Sleepover, which we haven't seen yet. Uh, there's a movie. Wait, coming who's to- in that? Gabe? Uh, isn't Malin Ackerman in it? Lauren, Lauren did interviews for that. Yeah. Whenever she posts them, I'll plug it here. It's DC film girl. I think she interviewed them. We have a a movie coming to VOD called Tesla, which also has some pretty big people in it. Ethan Hawke Hawke and Kyle McLaughlin. I believe that uh, it's getting pretty good reviews. None of us have seen it yet. We did see unhinged Russell Crowe's film. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, So I've heard it described as falling down, but like without an ounce of humor. Uh, to it at all is it really really intense and really somber it's brutal man it's just it? brutal and I, I just did not find it to be enjoyable to watch mm-hmm. um you know it's it's this whole idea of of what happens when when the wrong guy has a bad day um it starts as just sort of kind of a little bit of a misunderstanding in traffic that just snowballs kind of for me beyond the point of of believability like whenever i watch falling down there are like I fully believe that that could happen on a random day in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. This movie, it, it about the halfway point, I sort of went like, okay, like there would be a full court movement of a police force to 
find this guy and stop this guy. Like okay. it wouldn't it wouldn't get to this point. It it crossed a threshold. And like I said, just the the the, the brutal and just the cold brutal nature of it of 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 uh, Russell Crowe's character and and some of the things the actions that he uh, performs. It didn't. It just wasn't fun. And granted, like I can watch a violent film and still have fun watching it. I didn't enjoy. Like I was looking forward to it being over. I did not enjoy watching this movie. Kev. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, so I have an interesting, different take on it, but I agree that it's not enjoyable. Um, mm. I, I I thought it was an interesting. See, falling down is a is a good example because, but falling down is different because Michael Douglas's character is. When we meet him and when we learn about him initially, he is not a bad person. He just breaks. Right. And mm. and and kind of whatever goes down. That's why the end of falling down is so dramatic with him and Robert Duvall. And it's like, you know, because mm. you don't really want him to die. I mean, mm. like, I, I don't think we go through falling down, hating him. I think we go through falling down going, oh, man, like I feel like everybody, you know, again, no one's going to pull out a gun in the Burger Kings because breakfast ends in five minutes and they're not going to serve it to him. But, right. um, you know, but. People think about those types of things like when you're in traffic, oh, my God, I'm going to kill somebody or you know, whatever, whatever it is. It's just like thoughts you never act on kind of thing. Um, so this movie starts and the character has zero redeemable qualities. He starts off in a he starts off in one of the darkest positions you could ever start off in. I mean, I won't give anything away. I don't think this is in the trailer, but something horrific happens involving him in the beginning of the film mm-hmm. before we get to the traffic stop moment, the honking of the horn. I think what makes this film scary is that the character has absolutely zero goodness in him. Not one ounce of him is good. So that's an unstoppable force who is doesn't care if he gets caught. Doesn't he say something along the lines of I don't care if a cop or pulls me over? Oh, and he says, he says like, like, yeah, I think he says like suicide by cop is a good option or something right. like that. This guy does not care. All he cares about is making an example of what a bad day is for somebody. He wants to show somebody how bad your day can be. That's so, terrifying. So Right. So if, if you think about it from a horror perspective, it's very Duel-esque. Mm. Uh, Spielberg's Duel with, mixed in with like a falling down quality to it. Um, I, I'm with Jake a little bit. There's just some scenes where like there's a scene in a diner. With um, when, he, when she's on the phone with a friend of hers, that seemed a little like, um, OK, all right, someone would have done something. But that being said, think about it. If you're sitting in a diner, you see someone murder somebody. Or, I mean, like, like, uh, I don't know how people would react in that situation. But as you watch the film, you buy into the craziness because this guy had doesn't care what happens to him. Okay, so, so that to, to me makes him a terrifying villain, you know? I, I but I, I would make the argument that I mean like with Duel, the reason I love Duel is like you don't really know about right. the truck driver. And it's not played by an Oscar winner. It's just like sort of this terrifying force. Yeah. It really kind of he ended up repeating with Jaws and sort of mm. just kind of this it kept going. I feel like if you're gonna have Russell Crowe play that part, then you gotta give him like I need and he he throws out some lines about his wife divorcing him and, and kind of screwing him over in the divorce that kind of sort of Dude, his, his mind justify Crow sell it? Crow is amazing. See, I, but I, 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 I was all in on his performance. I, I, yeah. I, I almost wish it were like dual like where like it wasn't played by an A-list Oscar winner and mm. it was just this guy in a truck that was ticked off. Like I, I because it was played by Crow, I Kept, like it was fun seeing him do some of those things because it's him, but I expected 
because it's him there for there to be more to the character like there's not he's just like to your point he's just a bad guy who got pissed off in traffic right and that's it and i would have liked like if, if that's all there's gonna be then i'd almost wish there were less for it to be a little bit more mysterious and therefore not played by russell Crowe. i wish it had just been a guy in a truck See, i have a different I question i, 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 I have a different question just one oh, quick sorry. thing on that just one quick thing mm-hmm. I, I didn't mind him being a flat performance um i and like he's just evil for the hour and i mean it takes place yeah. essentially in real time basically right i mean yeah. like uh, and i mean it's so, not a bad performance i mean he's yeah I, I, he's like good in it i just don't think the character is good enough for him i think what made me like the film and again i didn't love this film but i liked it enough because it genuinely freaked me out and it but here's the thing we can all agree on this we've all been in a situation where you're behind somebody you honk at them or they honk at you, then you end up at the next light again together. And it's so awkward. And it's so cringeworthy. Weird look over yeah. and you know it's going to be weird. So it taps into a realistic thing that we've all been through. On top of it, you put a performer who's one of the greatest actors of our time who just nails the performance. Script-wise, fine. Some of the dialogue, fine. Bad, whatever. bad but, dialogue. But what made me scared the most, Jake, was as I watched it, I was attracted to the screen in the hope that he would turn slightly mm. good. So it's almost as if like, yes, he's flat bad the whole movie. But if you watch it from the perspective of the hope that he might just go, all right, I need to stop doing this. What am I doing to this whole family? But he doesn't, I'm, I'm not going to say anything specifically about the storyline, but he doesn't ever give you that. And I think that's what makes the character great because he's just sure. confident in his heart, horror, horror elements, so- you know? I have a question about it, and this has been one of the films that's been adamant about playing in theaters. Like, it really wants to be one of the first movies that, that you come back to theaters to see. Does it demand that uh, element? Do, do you think it benefits from seeing? I, I would have rather seen it in theaters. Yeah, yeah. There's, there, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly, I'll tell you the exact scene that I watched that I said I wish I was in a theater. I bet right I now. know what it was. Was <laughs> it the growling of the truck? Oh, I was gonna say it was when. The truck plows through the cop car. That's a great scene, too. But early on in the film, when this is actually in the trailer, when you see mm-hmm. when you see him, the like the, the moment of the, the honk. Yeah, there's this amazing sound design that they did where they went from this cheap car that that, that, that the lead actress was driving this like, you know, cheap sounding motor, not cheap, but it just didn't sound mm-hmm. like it was yeah. like had a lot of weight to it. Then you pop back to Crow and you just hear the rumble of his truck. And mm-hmm. I was like, if we were in like a Dolby or an IMAX, yeah. you, you would get you would get that full and it would base. it would like move around the yeah. theater. And and again, it's 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 and I'm not saying this because, you know, you guys all know we're theater advocates on this show. But there's something when you're watching a movie at home and your brain goes, oh, man, that moment would have been cool. In yeah, theaters. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah sure. It's really kind of sad, but that, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to pay to see Unhinged. I'm actually going out to a movie theater tomorrow. Uh, for live shots. Me too. Yeah. I, now, are you going? They won't let me go in. Are you going to go they're, in? They're letting me go, uh, not for the morning show, but they're letting me go in uh, for they, my noon. Yeah. yeah. yeah but they won't let me. Our movies don't start until two forty-five here. Our start at noon. But I'm a little surprised that, like, you would think if I, because because I'm going to an AMC. Are you going to an AMC? Yeah, I'm going to an AMC. You would think. That like AMC would be trying to get any and all oh, press. Yeah. I thought and the same the fact, thing. The fact that they're like, well, like there's not going to be anyone there, so you can't come in. But you're welcome to do live. Show. I'm like, don't you guys need help? Like, don't you guys need people to come to your? You're, you're not yeah. going to like not they to be like be a jerk, you. but yeah, they should be. I thought like, happy same, that we're going to do live shots. I thought the same thing. I'm going out there tomorrow morning to do live shots, and, and you're talking about 
people who want to send people yeah. to your location. And I mean, I get it. I'll be out there at 6 a.m. There's going to be anyone there. But if you look at the movie times of the theater I'm going yeah. to tomorrow, they're sold out all day. Black Panther sold out. Goonies yeah. is sold out. Um, they're all sold out. Like 30 yeah. oh, percent. So capacity. theaters oh, are open it, by it, you guys. Tomorrow. Yeah. Well, tomorrow, AMC okay. theaters open up and okay. tomorrow and being I, Thursday, August 20th. Yeah. Okay. And I sent I sent Gabe a text last week. I think um, I bought my first movie ticket last week. I, I was supposed to go see Inception Friday night at 830 in IMAX. So I could see this featurette that came out about 10, yeah. which is not online yet. But um, the but my parents are coming up, so I can't go now. So my first movie back, I'm going to make it hopefully tenant. Um, but in this featurette and I, since we didn't we didn't do the show last week, I don't know if you guys you guys read the the way they shot the action forward and backwards. Yes. Like I. Oh, my God. I, I first of all, I thought I just assumed that I assumed that was some trickery in edit that that especially the like the actual forward motion and backward motion of, of maybe an explosion or an action. But. The fact that he did it for real that way is nuts. But and no green screen, 280 VFX shots. It's crazy. To quote so Kevin more. McCarthy, we're not ready for this. We're not ready. No, I I, I really don't think we're ready. And I, and I, I don't say that jokingly. I, I part well, of you me better wonders, get your ass ready, man. I don't know that our brains are are ready to comprehend what we're about to experience. I, I have a big question without revealing anything that we're not supposed to already know. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you guys. Oh. By the next time we, by the time we record the next episode of Real Blend, will we have seen Tenant? I have no idea. I, yeah. no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't open here until September 3rd, right? Seems ridiculous to say yes to that. But knowing so. how last minute things happen uh, in, in our lives, it's possible. Okay, let, let me ask you this. The international junkets are happening as we speak. Does okay. that mean some people have already seen it? Yes. Oh, people people saw it Monday. Ah, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, In I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. The, by the next episode of Real Blend, I believe we will have seen Tenet. Gabe. Yeah. The movie screen Monday. We're just going to we're going to we're going to just spoil everything also, for you, brother. I, I want to say this. I think Christopher <laughs> Nolan. I've, you guys already know I think Christopher Nolan's a genius, but I think he's a marketing genius as well. So he adds Travis Scott to his soundtrack. Um, oh. so, so Travis Scott's doing a song. I thought of soundtrack. you when I saw that. And it's an interesting choice, but if you think about it from the perspective of audience, so you put Harry Styles in Dunkirk, mm. Dunkirk is going to make already a lot of money, but all of Harry Styles fans are going to go mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. You have Travis Scott tweet out a photo of the song cover that he's doing. For Which is Tenet so with, cool. With John David Washington, like falling in midair and it gets a hundred thousand favorites on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. So like, I'm telling you right now, and, and I think that move that Fortnite thing I did I know all that stuff was weird but think about the audience he's reaching he's he is about to, if he can get 12 13 14 year old kids to go to a 70 millimeter IMAX of Tenet and learn yeah. about actual film projection that's a big deal that, that I take all of that as a win I know Fortnite's weird but I love that it's out there like that you know all right really fast um give me thumbs up thumbs down one and only Ivan I Disney liked it Plus. a lot I liked it a lot <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Cutthroat City. Go with uh, the fin- ha- Haven't finished it. No, Jake and I interviewed RZA. Um, I have not finished it yet. Jake, oh, I actually had a really interesting conversation with RZA about Tarantino. I'll tell you guys about it off. Off. Uh, he loves off. that type of cinema. But isn't he in, super into like Asian? He and Tarantino. Cinema? He and Tarantino are like this. I'll I'll mention this. I'll mention this. I don't mind. It's it's, it's actually kind of interesting. But I'll just have to tap around because we can't say the word. 
Um, so we know Quentin Tarantino has been using a certain word in his films early on for yes. a long time. And Spike Lee has, you know, always been very, uh, you know, you know, mad about that specifically. So mm-hmm. in Cutthroat City, uh, in RZA's film, so people who, who don't know, RZA scored, I mean, you, we all know this. Everyone who listens to the show knows this, but I just say it just in case. But RZA scored Kill Bill. And so him and Quentin Tarantino have been like friends. And obviously Quentin was helping him with uh, The Man with the Iron Fist, which was the movie mm-hmm. made by Russell Crowe. And so RZA has a scene in Cutthroat City where there's like a six guys sitting around in the back of a, a vehicle and it's it's his reservoir dogs opening. It's like mm-hmm. it's essentially like a a circle around shot of like six guys talking and the characters start talking about reservoir dogs and how Quentin Tarantino <laughs> uses funny. that word way too much in his films. And then one of the guys goes, ah, reservoir dogs is overrated. And so like and so I, I watched the scene. I'm like, OK, maybe this is a good way for me to be able to ask Riza about like, like, does he find it as a as, as a black man? Does he find it offensive that Quentin Tarantino uses those words? And he gave me this phenomenal answer about like Quentin Tarantino being like the most genuine dude ever, so much so that he would invite Riza's brother, his six foot five brother over to spend the night at his house and watch movies with him. And he went through this entire amazing answer about like, like defending Quentin Tarantino, basically saying yeah. that like, he's an artist. He's essentially using the words that the characters would say. And I just mm-hmm. thought it was really interesting to hear Riza talk about that because, you know, you think about all the, the, the negative criticism. I mean, Jake, Jake, you brought it up with um, Samuel L. Jackson. Try to. It, yeah, and, but but it is interesting. And so my question to Rizzo was, do you think Quentin's going to be mad at you for this joke? And he went on this amazing answer about why he wouldn't be mad and like essentially defending Quentin Tarantino against any type of allegations like that, you, that he would be considered racist for using words. And I just thought that was a really cool thing that he did. He made the joke in the movie, he brought it to the attention of the audience, but it was in a playful way. But it was also he defended his friend. And I thought that was really cool. So are you going to have that on your YouTube? Channel? Yeah, I'll, I'll pop it up on YouTube. Like he was, he was uh, really interesting. I, I I grew up listening to an album he made called Bobby Digital. It was a 1998 album. It was a sci-fi record he made, and so we got into that a little bit. I mean, I don't know if people are interested in that. So it's a hip hop nice. album, but I loved it. That's so. cool. Very yeah, nice. I, I've, I've I love RZA. I mean, RZA's music has always been cinematic. Think about it. Mm. Like Wu Tang Clan, Thirty Six Chambers, all that stuff comes from movies. Wu Tang Clan's based on a movie called Shaolin, or is it called Shaolin Wu Tang? I think is the name of the film. Their mm. the name of their group comes from a kung fu film, mm. and that's why all their all their music is so cinematic. Though, anyways, that's awesome. Very cool. Uh, yeah. All right, let's get on to this week's blend game. We are playing uh, hashtag Russell Crowe blend to go along with Unhinged, and just the fact that Russell Crowe is a really great guy uh, who did interviews with the guys so far today uh not today but over the course of promoting unhinged you can go to their youtube channels and find each of those uh so let's get into our picks and i'm gonna throw it to jake your favorite russell crowe film uh i could not pick anything other than gladiator really Um, i just think it is uh one an incredible performance on his part that covers a vast wide range of emotions like he's he's Mm -hmm. A little bit more subdued and low keyed, but still is able to to elicit so many. I mean, like when his 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 vengeful feeling whenever he he comes uh, eye to eye with, with Commodus for the first time since since becoming a slave. His his the travesty of of his wife and, and son being brutally murdered. The the love that he has for um for the for the for the Caesar for Richard Harris at the beginning of the film. It's 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 a very subdued performance, but even within that performance is able to to touch on so many different emotions. And just the film itself, I think Ridley Scott does an incredible job of bringing this world to life. 
Um, obviously, Sword and Sandal Epic, something that's been around for, for decades, but I felt like it's the most accessible and the best it's been done sort of within, you know, modern era. Um, and I, just, I, it, I uh, you know, my girlfriend and I recently rewatched it uh, to, to get ready for the interview with Russell, and I think it holds up incredibly well 20 years later. It's both an enjoyable film, but also just really a high constructed piece of art and uh, I, I I love it and there are a lot of other films that he's been in that I genuinely love but in terms of I mean mm. I th- this is really my usage of the word favorites um I just it, I just love it I love this it. one was really hard to do he's got so many great films Kev did you great pick Gladiator films. also no I I, okay. I did I did a beautiful mind and I've explained mm. it on the show before so I won't like take too much time with it but it's just a film that I really I re- heavily relate to because of the mental aspect of it and I And I've been in therapy all my life. And one of the things I've always talked about was a scene from that movie. And I've mentioned on the show before, but I'll just briefly mention it again in case someone new is listening. But there's a moment at the end of that film. If you remember, the whole film is him struggling with the the, the mental illness and the the, that he's going through. And he's obviously seeing things. Paul Bettany's character. Um, And then there was this great moment at the end of the film, which is like to this day, the, the, the thing that I hope I can achieve before I die which is to be able to walk past the mental illness for a moment mm-hmm. and and push through with your life because for you know with mental illness and mental health I don't want to call it a mental illness I feel like that's the wrong word to use I'm going to say mental health mm-hmm. but you know we we you know there's a big stigma around it people don't talk about it as much but beautiful mind really put that on the map and then regards to like you know showing a character his struggle and what he was going through but in that film, at the end, as he walks past Paul Bettany and Bettany tries to kind of get his attention, right, to kind of pull him back into that world. And I think Crow just continues walking right past him. Right. And mm-hmm. like I always tell my therapist, like, that's what I tell my therapist every time I talk, not every time, but every uh, couple weeks, I'll bring up that scene and I'll say, that's where I want to get. Like, how do mm-hmm. I get there? Because like, you know, with me, with OCD and anxiety, it's paralyzing. It paralyzes you It's it, uh, mentally. It's hard to push through your day. It's hard to push through. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to come home sometimes and, you know, be a good husband because I'm so in my own worries and anxieties from driving and whatever it would be. And so I always look at that moment as like, all right, he was he was really, really dealing with some horrible mental health issues, right? I mean, it was re- it was getting bad. That character's going through something a lot worse than what my own mental state is with OCD and things like that. But to see his character, which is a true story, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. it's based on a true story. Yeah, mm-hmm. John Nash. To see, to see John Nash, like, just walk past with that confidence. And I remember one thing my therapist told me years ago was basically the OCD and the anxieties are always going to be in my mind uh, they're they're not going to go away. It's just because I have a chemical imbalance. But you it, you can choose how you're going to react to it. And like you know, for the longest time, John Nash's character is so weak in his in himself that he doesn't tr- have confidence in himself that he allows it to take over. Hurts mm-hmm. his marriage, obviously. And so for me, that film meant a lot, just on a personal level, because it showed me a victory of somebody who went through something really bad. Um, but still was able to acknowledge that it was there and move past it. And I know, and here's the thing, at the end of the day, everyone's going to fall back. Everyone's going to fall back into sure the worries and the anxieties. And, you know, I mean, maybe the next day he does stop and go over to Paul Bettany in his mind. Right. But, you know, that's it was just a really inspiring story and obviously gorgeously photographed and shot by, you know, directed by Ron Howard and 
Jennifer Connelly is outstanding. Remember Connelly in the bathroom when she like screams that that that, that it was like in the trailer. I think she's oh in front of a gosh. mirror yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. It was like yeah. this insane scream. I'm, I just gut wrenching. Um, if but if that's, I remember, it's just because she got so fed up with it. Like yes. she just she reached her breaking point of dealing with him. Exactly, and that's the sad thing about mental health when when you experience when you when you see it now you're seeing it in a film form there but like you know it does it, it's not just the person going through it it's the person surrounding that person as well whoever you know mm-hmm. and so um while his was way more extreme than mine is i just always looked at it as a really interesting way to maybe see a clear path um past the anxiety so that's amazing dude yeah, that's, that's a why great i love that story yeah. yeah i don't even want to go i think i told it before sorry <laughs> yeah no i so, don't so want to sean tell me tell me why you up. love the nice guys <laughs> oh god <laughs> it's awful um my, mine's la confidential um if only because oh I, I love that genre and i've discussed this uh at length that i love detective crime uh stories i love things set in the film noir world i'm obsessed with Los Angeles and Hollywood, and that that has the the element of the uh, the the prostitutes who are reworked into uh, famous film stars, so that they could be paired up with Johns, and then it's got this terrific twist in the middle of it, which I won't give away. The Ro- uh, Rolo Tomasi uh, hook that allowed uh, Kevin Spacey to get the upper hand. It's one of those ones too where the ensemble is so fantastic. Um, so I, I I don't really want to call it a Russell Crowe film, although he's significant to it but everyone in it is fantastic i like that it came sort of at the earlier stages of his career where nobody quite knew how good russell crowe was going to be yet um and he's so talented he doesn't let himself get typecast to just play sort of bruiser cops which he probably could have played for a a decade uh, after la confidential but instead he shows up in movies like master and commander or something as subtle as beautiful mind um yeah, I, I, it's funny looking over his filmography. I kind of thought that we were wasting Russell Crowe's good years, but it turns out he's been consistent still all the way through. Like Nice Guys was still relatively recently. Um, and yes, he's taken things like Unhinged, but I think he has another tremendous performance, you know, in, in a really noteworthy film. Well, Les Mis was relatively recently. And so, um, yeah, he's fantastic. But I, I would go for favorite film uh, of his. I would uh, if, if you're telling me to pu- pull one of his films out of the the shelf and and throw it in. I'm going to go LA confidential just about every single time. So uh, audience picks Dante and Amanda young went with Kevin and said a beautiful mind, a Ray Perkin and Carter went with me and said LA confidential. Joel McFarlane went with Jake and said gladiator, uh, Terry Tingren and Brandon, uh, Braden Roberts, uh, who works at cinema blend, uh, went three ten to Yuma. Great Ter- movie. Terrific film. Carrie Case, uh, Wicket Lou, and Josh went with The Nice Guys. And then John Palmer chose The Insider. The Insider is oh, one of those movies that Insider. I have to revisit. Oh. I mean, I, I remember loving it, but it's yeah. not it's a movie that I just haven't gone back to see yeah. in a really, one really of, long time. One of Pacino's last great performances, and it was like 20 years ago. I need to I need to go back and rewatch it. Gabe, what that. would you pick? Gabe hates playing this game. Yeah, I don't play this game. But you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta have one, man. I don't have one. I like I like him in a lot of things. Oh, I don't play yes. the game. I don't play the game. It's awful. I direct the game. I don't play the game. It's awful. That you know? Gary. Well, speaking of directing the game, Gabe is telling us that for next week we're going to be playing hashtag Octavia Spencer Blend. So you will use hashtag Octavia Spencer Blend uh, to let us know your pick, and we will potentially read it on the show. You can also. Uh, Email us your pick at realblend at cinemablend.com. That is a place where you can also send us a review. And this week's review comes to us from Duke National Champion, which right off the bat, 
I don't like you because I'm a Tar Heel fan. Mm. Sorry, no pun intended. Uh, the subject line is best movie podcast ever. And this is a long one. So I'm going to settle in and take a stretch and get into this one. It says there are levels of movie fandom. The casual moviegoers who will go see movies once in a while. I like this review already. Those who go regularly to the theaters and those who go to early screenings line up for a premiere on opening night and collect Blu-rays and memorabilia and can talk for hours with other movie fanatics. If you are like me and part of the last group, this podcast is for you. It's made with passion from hardcore movie fans for movie fans. It is by far one of the most enjoyable podcasts I have listened to. And let me tell you why. Real Blend is a fascinating exploration of not only upcoming movie news, but also a glimpse behind the scenes of movie journalism. The Real Blend team of Sean, Kevin, and Jake, and Gabe behind the scenes are seasoned entertainment journalists who already do this every day for their job. You may have seen their interviews on the red carpet and YouTube, but every week... Together on this podcast, they share the latest news on upcoming movies, interview some of the most talented filmmakers in great depth, and engage in heated debates in their movie reviews. What I love about their reviews is that they feel fresh, unbiased, and often they have wildly different opinions. This podcast and its community has become like a secret handshake amongst the movie fanatics. That is awesome. Love that line. That's awesome. It's a great line. I have a great deal of respect Uh, of what these gentlemen have done, and it looks like they're only getting started as their popularity continues to grow. Congratulations on your 100th episode, and here's to many more to come. P.S. I wanted to share a personal anecdote to an interaction with Kevin. In March of 2017, I was in Austin for the South by Southwest Film Festival and on the red carpet trying to get Ryan Reynolds to sign my Deadpool poster. Oh, Kevin. I know who this is. Do you really? Oh, yeah, I remember this. That's I had no idea this was the guy you were reading. Okay, keep going. He says, Kevin, along with the rest of the press, were inches away from me in the red carpet area interviewing Ryan, Jake, and the rest of the cast. This was for life, right? They were there for? Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. I remember Kevin being very friendly and even waving Ryan over to sign my poster, which he did. So thank you, Kevin. Then he says, I also met my friend Kalina, who is part of the Real Blend family at South by Southwest, and she introduced me to this podcast. See how movies bring everyone together. That's yeah. an awesome. Great awesome review. review. Great review. Love that secret handshake line. Yeah, you remember cool. doing that, Kev? You no, waved Brian Reynolds on it? The only reason I remember it is I remember that that same person, I think, sent me a message. Not like I don't remember, like maybe like a year or so ago, thanking me for that. And I remembered it now because Reynolds Reynolds is such a nice guy. And like and he was being bombarded. Um, oh, but I be, and I had already interviewed him that day at the junket and then again on that carpet. And I don't know what it was, but he looked over my this this guy was standing there, and I remember it's on. I think it's on Facebook Live. I was on Facebook Live when it happened. There's a video of it, and like Reynolds was like, "Yeah, I'll come over." And he came over and he met the guy. It was like really nice thing. I mean, he didn't That's have wild. to do it, but I mean, I, I I didn't really do anything. I was just there, and I was just like, <laughs> "Hey, can you sign this guy's thing?" That's all I said. I didn't do anything. Well, thank you very much for the review. That is an awesome one. If you guys want to get your reviews read on the show, send them to uh, realblend at cinemablend.com. The email address. Uh, and we will hopefully read it on the next episode. So for next week, I want to tease the uh, premium episode that we're going to be recording immediately after this. It will be a uh, Real Blend show uh, question and answer. Uh, audience grab bag. You guys sent in some questions. 
we are going to answer them. Uh, that will be made available on the premium episode, which is available on Mondays. And uh, next week, I will have another newsletter for you guys, too, because I believe it's bi-weekly, right? Games? Bi-weekly. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Next Friday. Uh, so you can listen to us uh, when the show's shows, multiple shows drop. Remember to go over to the YouTube channels and give us a follow and hit the uh, subscribe and like buttons while you're there. Go to social media and follow us at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Drop us a review on iTunes. Uh, and tune in for next week's episodes where maybe, maybe we will have seen Christopher Nolan's film Tenet. If it happens. Hashtag if it happens. So until then. If you guys do, though, I will uh, I'll just have to stop producing the show until I see it. So We will tell you every detail. Every yeah, I'll just let you guys handle it. Next week's cool. episode where we recap every minute of Tenet <laughs> for Gabe to listen to. And it's a 14 hour long episode because we don't have anyone to tell us to rap. Thank you, guys. I, Talk to I, you next week. Funniest tweets I saw, by the way, of the Travis Scott thing was that he's going to be rapping backwards. <laughs> if anyone could do it, it would be him. That would be amazing. All right, Dunkirk. All right. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.